Okay, let's see if we can get through this entrance here, folks, without the intro playing again. The cursed intro. Hey, so far so good. Okay. <laughs> if you've been watching the last few shows, it's been something else. Uh, you know, I need to pray over that intro and make it work right. I think that would work really well. Um, wow, where do we go with this tonight? <laughs> I felt the need and the urge to talk tonight about um, <clears throat> not only the fact that these shots, these COVID-19 shots, and I mean all of them, uh, not just the mRNA, but the J&J, because the J&J has its own problems. The Novavax has its own problems. Um, and you'll see about that the last, um, the last clip we're going to look at tonight. Um, but... <clears throat> They're, they're all problem children, folks. And it's with trying, when you're trying to tamper with nature, which the mRNA uh, virus is, or the vector, or whatever you want to call it, um, you tamper with nature and things get all screwed up. A man hasn't learned that yet. Man hasn't learned it yet. And man won't learn it. <laughs> and that's why the return of Yeshua HaMashiach is uh, very important. Okay. Um, Wait a minute, folks, here. Okay. I do have some people that watch on um, on another venue, and uh, there we go. I'm back on there now. I do have some people that watch. Oh, Hold on, folks. Okay. All right. That has been silenced. There's just too many things to do <laughs> for a show. When I when I get ready to go, folks, I, had, I have to hit start broadcasting, and then it initializes. And then I got to hope that I hit the intro video right about the time that the initializing is, is coming to an end, right? And then I got to jump to me before the intro starts playing again. And for some reason, for the last few shows, it's been playing two or three times. Um, and then I have to make sure I hit this over here. Um, it's just, um, it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> and I always, I always mess something up. So, um, if you ever see somebody doing this show and they don't mess something up, be concerned because it may not be me. Okay. Anyway, so we're talking about, or I'm talking about, um, the weaponization of um, the SARS-CoV-2 virus and um, gain of function and things like that. Uh, you can, I don't know if this whole thing is a blur almost, but you know, for the longest time, Fauci was like, oh, well, you know, no, it's, there's no gain of function going on. And we didn't even know what gain of function was until this all started up. And then somebody explained to us what gain of function is. It's basically turning it into a bioweapon. Okay. <laughs> And uh, then it came out that it was a, um, a gain of function, and Fauci knew about it, but he still denied it. And, you know, when I was young, my mother used to watch all these soap operas on, on TV, and they have nothing on this whole charade that's going on with COVID-19 and, and everything else. The soap operas are, are nothing compared to those or this. And, uh, yeah, 
never a dull moment. So anyway, uh, what we're going to talk about tonight is how people were warning that this was going to happen. Heck, even Fauci warned that it was going to happen. Remember, he he came out and said, well, yeah, he told Trump, he said, sometime during your presidency, there is going to be a pandemic. <laughs> like the minute the pandemic started, Fauci should have been arrested. Because he, in order to know that was going to happen, he had to be involved in its production, right? Unless he's some godly prophet, which he's not. Okay. Um, so in order to be, have the uh, gonadal um, fortitude to say something like that, you know, you have to be involved in it. And uh, he probably felt like he was, oh, I'm important. They'll never arrest me because I have all the answers and I can get us out of this if we need to. And Oh, man. Um, anyway, <sighs> breathe easy. Nice, slow breaths. Okay. That's not just for me. I think there's some of you out there who need to breathe, breathe slower, too. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, and, and you're going to find out, we're going to find out tonight that um, that this goes all the way back to 19, what was it, 65, they can trace things back to 1965 when they were starting to mess around with this virus and stuff like that in order to make it lethal. Okay. And uh, there's, there's the first guy, what's the, the first or the third guy, I can't remember. Um, we go through this is he, um, he's going to explain the whole mechanism of how it went down. He's going to explain, go, go all the way back to 1965 or 66, right around there, explain the whole nine yards. Uh, another video we're going to watch is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. talking about how the, this is um, this has all been planned and and, uh, and that good stuff. Um, and the third one is going to be <laughs> I don't know I got to kind of got to kick out when he introduced himself. His last name is Fleming. Uh, I think it's Richard Richard Fleming, and he says I'm I'm a physicist, I'm a doctor, I'm a this, and I'm a lawyer. <laughs> I'm like that's a lifetime worth of studying, a lifetime university. You know, and uh, he doesn't look that old, but, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of like the Bill Schnoblin of the uh, the uh, medical world, I guess, or the the professional world. If you don't know Bill Schnoblin, nice guy, really is. And he, man, talk about accelerating his pace and his um, his momentum through all these different things that he went through. You know, it's, it's amazing. It really is. Um so anyway, Bill, if you ever see this, hi, how you doing? Haven't seen you in a long time. Um, so anyway, yeah, where are we going here? So yeah, we're gonna uh, watch this first. Uh, David, uh, is it David Miller or something like that? Um, he he basically gets to say, "I told you so," in front of everybody. He's he's at a um, European Union meeting. I think he's before the Parliament, and. Um, Back in 2019 or something, I can't remember, but the exact year, he'll tell us. Um, he uh, he warned that uh, COVID-19 was going to happen and that it was going to be a weaponized thing and every, you know, and it's, um, yeah, it's crazy. So anyway, got to breathe easy again. Okay. I, I don't know about you folks, but when I see people deliberately lying to the world basically 
and getting away with it, it frustrates me. And when it frustrates me, I, I get a little upset. And, um, and I know Yeshua is the answer and he's coming back, but I think it's natural for us to, to get a little upset about it. You know, even, even though he's, Yeshua is coming back and he's going to finally end all this garbage that's coming up, that's coming out and coming up and everything else coming up, bleh, you know, um, yeah, he's going to, he's going to take care of everything. And even though we have that, that, um, that surety and that satisfaction that that's going to happen, it's, it's still it's it's still kind of separated from what's going on right now you know the future is nice and the future we know to a certain degree but it's not right now so um anyway yeah and i know that a lot of you identify with me where that's concerned hey you know what and and real quick i wanted to thank there's there's man maybe eight or ten of you out there that have um kind of in my like my cheering section you know it's um, just getting on there and saying, Hey, doing a good job guy, man, that, that just delights me. I don't need any rewards for doing this, but when I hear, Hey, you're doing a good job, man, it gets rid of every negative comment that I get in, uh, under the videos or either that or an email or something like that. So thank you. Thank you for your encouragement. And also there are those who support me financially, a few, and, um, I just wanted to thank you for your support. And uh, I know it's just, I'm a little fish in the pond, but hey, you know, even a little fish in the pond got to eat what's in the pond, right? And uh, and uh, and got to be productive in the pond and reproduce. And hopefully, this word, the words that I'm putting out, are reproducing. So, um, anyway, <laughs> okay, I've been on for 10:04. Okay, I saw 10:04, and I'm like, wait a minute, it's 10 o'clock at night, and yeah, refer. I had a brain fart there just for a moment. Okay, I had a Biden for a moment there. Um, I don't know. He's uh, he hasn't fallen today, uh, by the way. And uh, there was somebody had posted a picture of a mask failure, and uh, you can see that the person that's underneath the mask uh, that that shows Joe Biden um, is uh, definitely darker complected and stuff like that. So um, I don't know. I, the people can do this stuff and get away with it. Uh, all I know is that uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago, nobody would have gotten away with the garbage they're getting away with now. And and in the future, like I said, with Yeshua, they're not going to get away with it either. So, okay, without further ado, I want to listen and want you to hear David Martin. Um, very interesting man. Very interesting man that says, I told you so. Okay. And I know that there's a lot of us out there who like to walk up to friends and relatives and say, I told you so. And uh, maybe we'll do that someday, but maybe we'll just let it slide, you know. Anyway, here's David Martin, okay? And then afterwards, we can uh, regroup and, and talk and then go back and then go to uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. It is a... It is a particularly interesting location for me to be sitting today, given that over a decade ago, I sat in this very chair right here in the European Union Parliament. And at that time, I warned the world of what was coming. Uh, during that conversation that was hosted at the time by the Green and EFA and a number of the other parties of the European Union's uh, various representations, we were having a conversation on whether Europe 
should adopt the United States policy of allowing for the patents on biologically derived materials. And at the time, I urged this body and I urged people around the world that the weaponization of nature against humanity had dire consequences. Tragically, I sit here today um, with that unfortunate line that I don't like to say, which I told you so. But the fact of the matter is we're here not for a reprisal on past decisions. We're here to actually once again come to the face of the human condition and ask the question, who do we want to be? What do we want humanity to look like? And rather than seeing this as an exercise in futility, which is very easy from time to time when you're in the position I'm in, I actually see this not as an exercise in futility. I see this as one of the greatest opportunities that faces us because we now have a public conversation, which is now front and center in people's minds. When this was an esoteric conversation about biological patents, nobody cared. But when that conversation came home, then it became something people can care about. So I'm actually quite grateful for this opportunity. I thank the members of parliament for hosting this. I thank all of the translators who I apologize in advance. I will use terminology that is probably very difficult to translate, so my apologies. And I'd also like to acknowledge the fact that many of you are aware of my involvement with this, in large part due to the amazing work of my wonderful wife, Kim Martin, who encouraged me at the very early days of this pandemic to get on front of the camera and talk about all the information that I had been sharing among very small groups around the world. And it was in fact her encouragement that put me in a place where many of you have heard what I have to say. Ironically, the world that I came from that used to be very popular, my CNBC and Bloomberg presentations, which were televised on mainstream media around the world, was an audience that I lost. I, I can confidently say COVID diminished my fame. But I can also confidently say that I'd rather stand among the people with whom I'm standing today than any of the folks that were part of that previous world. So this is a much better place to be. My role today is to set the stage for this conversation in a historical context, because this did not come in the last three years. This did not come in the last five or six years. This actually is an ongoing question that probably began here in Europe in the early stages of the mid-1900s, but certainly by 1913, 1914, this conversation started right here in Central Europe. The pandemic that we alleged to have happen in the last few years also did not happen overnight. In fact, the very specific pandemic using coronavirus began in a very different time. And we'll try to advance the slides here with one of these things. Oh, there we go. Most of you don't know that coronavirus as a model of a pathogen was isolated in 1965. Coronavirus was identified in 1965 as one of the first infectious replicatable viral models that could be used to modify 
a series of other experiences of the human condition. It was isolated once upon a time associated with the common cold. But what's particularly interesting about its isolation in 1965 was that it was immediately identified as a pathogen that could be used and modified for a whole host of reasons. And you heard me correctly, that was 1965. And by the way, these slides are public domain. You're welcome to look at every single reference. Every comment that I made is based on published material. So do make sure that you look at those references. But in 1966, the very first COV coronavirus model was used as a transatlantic biological experiment in human manipulation. And you heard the date. 1966. I hope you're getting the point of what I'm saying. This is not an overnight thing. This is actually something that's been long in the making. A year before I was born, we had the first transatlantic coronavirus data sharing experiment between the United States and the United Kingdom. And in 1967, the year I was born, we did the first human trials on inoculating people with modified coronavirus. Isn't that amazing? 56 years ago, the overnight success of a pathogen that's been 56 years in engineering. And I want that to chill with all of you. Where were we when we actually allowed, in violation of biological and chemical weapons treaties, where were we as a human civilization when we thought it was an acceptable thing to do to take a pathogen for the United States and infect the world with it? Where was that conversation? And what should have been that conversation in 1967? That conversation wasn't had. Ironically, the common cold was turned into a chimera in the 1970s. And in 1975, 1976, and 1977, we started figuring out how to modify coronavirus by putting it into different animals, pigs and dogs. And not surprisingly, by the time we got to 1990, we found out that coronavirus as an infectious agent was an industrial problem for two primary industries, the industries of dogs and pigs. Dog breeders and pigs found that coronavirus created gastrointestinal problems, and that became the basis for Pfizer's first spike protein vaccine patent filed, are you ready for this, in 1990. Did you hear what I just said? 1990, Operation Warp Speed, I'm sorry, Where's the warp and the speed? Pfizer, 1990, the very first spike protein vaccine for coronavirus. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't it fascinating that we were, we were told that, well, the spike protein is a new thing. We just found out that that's the problem. No. As a matter of fact, we didn't just find out it was not just now, now the problem. We found that out in 1990 and filed the first patents on vaccines in 1990 for the spike protein of coronavirus. And who would have thought? Pfizer. Clearly the innocent organization that does nothing but promote human health. Clearly Pfizer. The organization that has not bought the votes in this chamber and in every chamber of every government around the world. Not that Pfizer. Certainly, they wouldn't have had anything to do with this. But, oh, yes, they did. And in 1990, they found out that there was a problem with vaccines. 
They didn't work. You know why they didn't work? It turns out that coronavirus is a very malleable model. It transforms and it changes and it mutates over time. As a matter of fact, every publication on vaccines for coronavirus from 1990 until 2018, every single publication concluded that coronavirus escapes the vaccine impulse because it modifies and mutates too quickly for vaccines to be effective. And since 1990 to 2018, that is the published science, ladies and gentlemen. That's following the science. Following the science is their own indictment of their own programs that said it doesn't work. <clears throat> and there are thousands of publications to that effect, not a few hundred and not paid for by pharmaceutical companies. These are publications that are independent scientific research that shows unequivocally, including efforts of the chimera modifications made by Ralph Barrick in the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. All of them show vaccines do not work on coronavirus. That's the science. And that science has never been disputed. But then we had an interesting development in 2002, and this date is most important because in 2002, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill patented, and I quote, an infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus. Listen to those words, infectious replication defective. What does that phrase actually mean? For those of you not familiar with language, let me unpack it for you. Infectious replication defective means a weapon. It means something meant to target an individual, but not have collateral damage to other individuals. That's what infectious replication defective means. And that patent was filed in 2002 on work funded by NIAID's Anthony Fauci from 1999 to 2002. And that work patented at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, mysteriously preceded SARS 1.0 by a year. <gasps> Dave, are you suggesting that SARS 1.0 wasn't from a wet market in Wuhan? Are you suggesting it might have come from a laboratory? in the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill? No, I'm not suggesting it. I'm telling you that's the facts. We engineered SARS. SARS is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. The naturally occurring phenomenon is called the common cold. It's called influenza-like illness. It's called gastroenteritis. That's the naturally occurring coronavirus. SARS is the research developed by humans weaponizing a life system model to actually attack human beings. And they patented it in 2002. And in 2003, giant surprise, the CDC filed the patent on coronavirus isolated from humans in violation, once again, of biological and chemical weapons treaties and laws that we have in the United States. And I'm very, very precise on this. The United States likes to talk about its rights and everything else and the rule of law and all the nonsense that we like to talk about. But we don't ratify treaties about, I don't know, defending humans. 
We conspicuously avoid that. We actually have a great track record of advocating for human rights and then denying them when it comes to actually being part of the international community, which is a slightly problematic thing. But let's get something very clear. When the CDC in April of 2003 filed the patent on SARS coronavirus isolated from humans, what did they do? They downloaded a sequence from China and filed a patent on it in the United States. Any of you familiar with biological and chemical weapons treaties knows that's a violation. That's a crime. That's not an innocent oops. That's a crime. And the United States Patent Office went as far as to reject that patent application on two occasions until the CDC decided to bribe the Patent Office to override the patent examiner to ultimately issue the patent in 2007 on SARS coronavirus. But let's not let that get away from us because it turns out that the RT-PCR which was the test that we allegedly were going to use to identify the risks associated with coronavirus, was actually identified as a bioterrorism threat by me in the European Union-sponsored events in 2002 and 2003, 20 years ago. That happened here in Brussels and across Europe. In 2005, this particular pathogen was specifically labeled as a bioterrorism and bioweapon platform technology. Described as such, that's not my terminology that I'm applying to it. It was actually described as a bioweapons platform technology in 2005. And from 2005 onwards, it was actually a biowarfare enabling agent, its official classification from 2005 forward. I don't know if that sounds like public health to you. Does it? Biological warfare enabling technology. That feels like not public health. That feels like not medicine. That feels like a weapon designed to take out humanity. That's what it feels like. And it feels like that because that's exactly what it is. We have been lured into believing that EcoHealth Alliance and DARPA and all of these organizations are what we should be pointing to, but we've been specifically requested to ignore the facts that over $10 billion have been funneled through black operations through the check of Anthony Fauci and a side-by-side -side ledger where NIAID has a balance sheet and next to it is a biodefense balance sheet equivalent dollar-for-dollar -dollar matching that no one in the media talks about. And it's been going on since 2005. Our gain-of-function moratorium the moratorium that was supposed to freeze any efforts to do gain-of-function research. Conveniently, in the fall of 2014, the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill received a letter from NIAID saying that while the gain-of-function moratorium on coronavirus in vivo should be suspended, because their grants had already been funded, they received an exemption. Did you hear what I just said? A biological weapons lab facility at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, received an exemption from the gain-of-function moratorium so that by 2016, we could publish the, the journal article that said, SARS coronavirus is poised for human emergence in 2016. And what, you might ask, Dave, was the coronavirus poised for human emergence? It was W. IV-1, Wuhan Institute of Virology Virus 1.
poised for human emergence in 2016 at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, such that by the time we get to 2017 and 2018, the following phrase entered into common parlance among the community. There is going to be an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen. The operative word, obviously, in that phrase, the word release. Does that sound like leak? Does that sound like a bat and a pangolin went into a bar in the Wuhan market and hung out and had sex, and, and lo and behold, we got SARS-CoV-2? No. Accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen was the terminology used, and four times in April of 2019, seven months before the allegation of patient number one, four patent applications of Moderna were modified to include the term accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen as the justification for making a vaccine for a thing that did not exist. Keep going. If you have not done so, please make sure that you make reference in every investigation to the premeditation nature of this, because it was in September of 2019 that the world was informed that we were going to have an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen so that by September 2020, there would be a worldwide acceptance of a universal vaccine template. That's their words right in front of you on the screen. The intent was to get the world to accept a universal vaccine template, and the intent was to use coronavirus to get there. And the last slide. This isn't advancing, so if I could have somebody do it. Let's, let's read this, because we have to read this into the record everywhere I go. Until an infectious disease crisis is very real, present, and at the emergency threshold, that is often largely ignored. To sustain the funding base beyond the crisis, he said, we need to increase the public understanding for the need for medical countermeasures such as a pan-influenza or a pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media, and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. Sounds like public health? Sounds like the best of humanity. No, ladies and gentlemen, this was premeditated domestic terrorism stated at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015, published in front of them. This is an, this is an act of biological and chemical warfare perpetrated on the human race, and it was admitted to in writing that this was a financial heist and a financial fraud. Investors will follow if they see profit at the end of the process. Let me conclude by making five very brief recommendations. The last slide. Nature was hijacked. This whole story started in 1965 when we decided to hijack a natural model and decide to start manipulating it. Science was hijacked when the only questions that could be asked were questions authorized under the patent protection of the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, and their equivalent organizations around the world. We didn't have independent science, we had hijacked science. And unfortunately, there was no moral oversight in violation of all of the codes that we stand for. There was no independent, financially disinterested, independent review board ever impaneled around coronavirus, not once. Not once. 
Not since 1965. We do not have a single independent IRB ever impaneled around coronavirus. So morality was suspended for medical countermeasures. And ultimately, humanity was lost because we decided to allow it to happen. Our job today is to say no more gain-of-function research, period. No more weaponization of nature, period. And most importantly, no more corporate patronage of science for their own self-interest unless they assume 100% product liability for every injury and every death that they maintain. Thank you very much. That's pretty awesome. That guy is, <laughs> I'd like to be best friends with that guy. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, see, went all the way back to 1965 is when this all started. Um, back in 20, 2011, I think it was. I'm not sure. I think it was 2011. I went to the Georgia Guidestones. And the Georgia, Georgia Guidestones, I'd known about them for a long time. And the first commandment on the Georgia Guidestones always bothered me. And it said, um, i paraphrase here, reduce the population of the earth to 500 million people so that mankind can live in harmony with nature. Okay. Well, what better way to do it than what they've been doing lately, right? Um, calling humankind, basically. Um, but, you know, it's whoever erected the Georgia Guidestone must have had a, an insider um, view of what was going on here. Myself, I think it was probably David Rockefeller or something like that that put it up there down in Georgia. And... Um, but um, they were giving us a hint that something was going to happen like that. And I think a lot of us kind of figured it out <laughs> anyway. Because, you know, if you're like me, you've seen movies oh, for many, many years now. You know, um, Silent Green was a good one that's kind of being played out nowadays. Um, the warning at the end of uh, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, the old one with... Uh, what was his name? Michael Remy, Remy, Richard Remy, something like that. Anyway, uh, all these movies that had warnings in them. Uh, the book 1984, my goodness. If you haven't read it, read it, folks. It's It'll freak you out. Um, Fahrenheit 451, The Burning of Books, okay? Um, you name it, certain Star Trek uh, episodes, certain uh, X-Files. My goodness, the X-Files. Uh, predicted a lot of things. The Simpsons, the stupid cartoon, predicted a lot of things that are happening today. You know, and uh, it's like it's like if people don't know that these things are going to happen because they've been around people that know, then they're getting some kind of divine inspiration. It's got to be, and and they're they're it's coming out or it came out in bits and pieces. You know, like with the Simpsons and different things that happened on there. Um, the Georgia Guidestones. Um, you know, you, you take what, whatever you want, you know, and, and look at it. And yeah, and it's all been to prepare, to soften us up, to soften up the public, to uh, be aware that something was going to happen and then not freak out when it happened. And uh, if you look at what happened with Corona, my goodness, people just rolled over and played dead. No pun intended. 
Um, so anyway, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it was laid out there all these years for people to see. And then, but, uh, you know, somebody, um, young J 79, uh, first of all, I wanted to say hi to, uh, El Winsong. Um, it's good to see you here and thank you for your, your nice comments. And, um, yeah, um, young J 79 says, uh, this is some crazy stuff. Um, FR, FR, whatever that means. Um, and then he also, he or she says, um, I remember in 1997, I said a lot of things that people thought were, that were, uh, crazy, but now look who's, look who's crazy. <laughs> See, it's, uh, it's just the, Get, being bold enough to get out there and say stuff, you know, and and, and, the, and the willingness to be uh, ridiculed and criticized, um, and not just worry about, it, not worry about it at all, and know that someday you'll be vindicated. So <laughs> there you go, young Jay seventy nine, you were vindicated. So let's watch his second video. It's Robert Kennedy Jr. and he's talking about uh, an agenda that happened um, the year before the pandemic. And um, it was a it was a, an exercise uh, to see how people would do during a pandemic to see how uh, maybe it was a I would say more of a dry run to um, to see how people would handle things um, how different governmental offices would handle things how um, social service uh, officers and people would would do stuff and. Um, it was pretty interesting, actually, but it was, uh, I believe it was done just to, uh, as a, if anybody was watching, as a warning, and also to, to prep people, or especially the authorities, um, as, they, as they may be, uh, that to prep them for um, what was going to come down the road just a few, a few months later. And uh, so let's go ahead and watch that. Now, Robert... <clears throat> Robert Kennedy Jr. has a very gravelly voice. He's got some kind of, he had some kind of disease that <clears throat> uh, paralyzes your vocal cords. And he's worked very hard to, 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 get, get, to get it so he's recognized. So bravo to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. for that and for a million other things that he's out there doing. So, uh, okay, let's listen to him and, um, and then we'll talk about what he has to say and then we'll go to the last one. Okay, here we go. Because what I found was, you know, I saw this event 201. And raise your hand if you know what event 201 was. Okay, for those of you who don't know, event 201 was a pandemic simulation, a coronavirus pandemic simulation that took place in October of 2019. Nobody had ever heard of coronavirus until January. So that's four, three months later. In October, we now know that coronavirus was already circulating in September, so the month before, in Wuhan. But nobody knew about it. And yet they had a coronavirus pandemic simulation in New York City, hosted by Bill Gates and Avril Haines, the deputy, former deputy director of the CIA who did all of the Guantanamo Bay cover-up. She is like the cover-up queen. And they do a simulation. And who else is there? George Gao, the head of Chinese CDC. 
Oh, who obviously knows the coronavirus is circulating. He is the world's coronavirus expert. He's also the head of the, of the CDC in China. And then they had all of the social media platforms were there, the big insurance companies, Johnson & Johnson, the big pharma companies, and they meet for two days. And they have four seminars, and each one is faking this, you know, coronavirus is spreading across the world. And they simulate, they don't say, okay, we got vitamin D to everybody, and we got to make sure everybody gets exercise and gets out of their house and gets healthy and, you know, builds their immune system. And, and you know, there's none of that. And zinc and, you know, all the things. We got to figure out early treatments. We got to use the computer, the, the internet to connect all 15 million doctors, frontline doctors around the world so that we know when they treat people what's working, what's not, and, and we're constantly upgrading the protocols. That's what they should have been doing. That's not what they were doing. They were, they were working on ways to use the coronavirus pandemic as a pretense for clamping down totalitarian controls globally. And, you know, they talk about in some of these concentration camps and all of this stuff, but here that the last simulation on the fourth day, George Gayo, and Avril Haines from the CIA are talking, they have a soliloquy about how do we clamp down, stop people from saying this came from a lab leak. So they're saying that. This is in October of 2019. And they say, well, we got to get the social media companies to censor them and deplatform them and all this. You can go on YouTube and watch this tonight. It's called Event 201, and this is the fourth section of it. Oh, and people knew about that, you know, who were looking at this like me. And uh, from almost the beginning, but then I started doing a deep dive when I was writing the book. And I found out that was not a one-off. And I describe in that book, I found about 20 of these that they had been doing since 2001. And they're all scripted by the CIA. And all of them include top-level Officials like James Wolsey, the deputy director of the CIA, uh, Taro Tool, all of them have senior CIA officials. Many of them have famous people who kind of give an imprimatur of legitimacy to what they're doing, like Madeleine Albright or Tom Daschle or, you know, Bill Gates and a lot of them, um, and Gro Brundtland from, uh, you know, from the WHO, people who are respected and all, and they, they end up drilling, each one of them is drilling the imposition of totalitarian controls. They're, collectively, they have names like Dark Winter and Crimson uh, uh, Contagion and all these weird names, but collectively they're called Operation Lockstep. And they involved hundreds of thousands of people, public officials from little towns all over America, health officials from the state, police, firefighters, hospital systems, public utilities, and uh, FBI, CIA, uh, U.S. Marshals in Canada, the United States, all over Europe, Australia, and China. They were all doing it together, drilling, here's what we're going to do when a pandemic comes. And a lot of these people, you can see, are surprised about what they're doing. But they're probably looking around and saying, well, everybody else thinks this is okay, so I guess this is what we do when the pandemic comes.
So they got, they drilled people in doing something that was clearly contrary to their values. But it got them all teed up to do it and do it all at once and say, this is what you do when there's a pandemic. The first thing you do is you end freedom of speech and you start gutting the Constitution. Because what I found was, you know, I saw this event 201. And raise your hand if you know what event 201 was. Okay, for those of you who don't know, event 201 was a pandemic simulation, a coronavirus pandemic simulation. Oh, uh, I kind of know the verbiage at the beginning of it, so I apologize for that. I've got a very uh, naughty Chewini that is trying to play games with me while I'm on the broadcast. <laughs> She's bound and determined. Um, so if you hear growling or something like that, that's uh, what's going on there, okay? But see, even Kennedy's, he's telling us that um, before the pandemic, they were practicing for it. And, you know, going back to what the first guy said, remember there was something that, was on uh, the internet just last week and it talked about numbers and that um, to make a billion doses of a certain drug, you would, it would take months, years. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but um, you know what? If you bear with me, I could probably look it up. Okay. Let's see how long, right? Uh, to make the doses of mRNA vaccine. Okay. Let's see. If I can't find it in the first few seconds, folks, I'll just go on. But uh, I am using um, Google to look it up, and Google's not the best uh, search engine to use uh, when you're looking up stuff to prove that uh, Corona was a sham. Um, but um, let's see. Nope. There was a, I'm just going to have to encapsulate it, okay? But the, the deal was that it would take um, many years to make all the, uh, well, you have, you have 7 billion people in the world, right? Roughly. There's, there's more, but let's just use that as a figure. <clears throat> so 7 billion. So, and each one gets two shots, then one shot. Um, wait a minute. See, I didn't get them, so I don't know. Um, you get two in the beginning, and then um, I think you get two more, and then a booster. Yeah, okay, that's what it was. And so, so that's two, four, that's five per person, right? Five times 7 billion is uh, 35 billion, right? Okay, yeah. 35 billion doses, uh, 35 billion of those little vials, okay? Uh, there were some multi-dose vials that were made, but I don't think there were that many. Um, so, uh, you, you know, if you could, if you had the ability to, to, to calculate into how many how many you could make a day if you made one per second, you know? 
and uh and so how many days it would take you know and it was it was an astronomical figure that um would only work if what dave martin said at the beginning the first video if they'd been planning this for years and years and years okay it's the only way that it would work it, it, starting at operation warp speed um and what six months uh, three months into the pandemic and then all of a sudden having enough to do all the people of the earth you know it's uh, uh or even just a third of the people of the earth it would be impossible so and a lot of people got uh, their second shots and got a, a third booster you know or a third one which is a booster some people have gotten fourth and fifth my god if they're even walking around it just amazes me um but it only lends to there's only so much time <laughs> allowed, allotted to mankind to, to do things and um to be able to make that many vaccines in or supposed vaccines in that short time is i don't see how it's possible okay unless unless they started up years ago doing it which i if it's true then they did that but uh so event 201 was basically to get the uh, uh, the first responders, the politicians and everything all on board so that when it finally happened, which was inevitable because they already, they already had that plan um, in the works, uh, so that when it happened, people were ready. But uh, still, it was kind of a shoddy thing, and nobody really knew. The left hand never knew what the right hand was doing, you know, so... All right, now we're going to listen to um, Dr. Fleming. I think it's Richard. Richard Fleming, he's a physicist, he's a doctor, he's a lawyer, and there's one other thing that I can't remember. And he's going to explain some stuff to us. He actually gets pretty technical about explaining how it, um, the, the, the virus or the vector uh, enters into a, a cell and then uh, replenishes itself. And, and so anyway, uh, let's watch... Uh, Richard Fleming here, and, uh, and go from there, okay? Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Richard Fleming, a physicist, nuclear cardiologist, and an attorney. Over the last year and a half, many people have been dealing with SARS-CoV-2, a virus, and most recently, the vaccines that people have been encouraged to take, even though they're still under emergency use authorization. One of the things I wanted to do is provide a brief presentation to explain a little bit more about this virus and the disease COVID-19, as well as the vaccines themselves. While initially this slide may appear to have a lot of information in it, and it does, it's very important to get a basic fundamental grasp of what's going on when people get infected with the virus versus what happens when they get infected with the vaccines. The first part of this shows the virus itself and it comes into the cells of our body through a number of what's called receptor sites. Everybody's heard of ACE2, but between ACE2 and another one called TMPRSS2, furin cleavage site and neuropilin, this virus, one at a time, can come inside of our cells, unwrap the outer layer, the envelope, and allow its mRNA to get to our ribosomes where spike protein and the rest of the virus will be made. Now, normally when this happens, one of two things will occur. Enzymes in our body will try to break down something new, 
and present that to the surface of our cells, and that usually takes a few days to happen. If you've heard of T-cell immunity, the first part of our immune system, this is when this occurs, during the first three to five days. If the virus or spike protein, if that's what's being made, gets outside of a cell and comes into another cell, that takes longer, and that's about a week to 10 days, and it too is then presented to the surface of our cells, where our B cells that make antibodies can then respond. So initially break down bits and pieces, T cells three to five days, a little bit later on, a week to 10 days, the whole thing with antibodies. The same thing happens when the vaccines are used. We're showing two different types here. We're gonna start with Pfizer and Moderna down below because this is the one that initially came out with the lipid nanoparticles. That's a fat layer with cholesterol surrounding the mRNA. And when these are injected into the body, they don't have to come in through these ACE2 receptors or anything else. They just simply fuse with the, our cells and release billions of mRNA. That mRNA will go through the same process as the virus did, but we also know that part of it gets into the nucleus of our cells and becomes part of our DNA in all but three of the 23 pairs of chromosomes. And it will go through the same process. The AstraZeneca and Janssen, which is the Johnson & Johnson version, does it differently. It uses a virus called an adenovirus where double-stranded DNA is inserted. It comes into the cell and immediately has to go to our nucleus before it can begin the process of coming out to work with the mRNA. Same steps, entry into the cell, either reproduction of the spike protein or the virus, whether it's coming from a vaccine or the virus itself, the question is what's included, whether it's hundreds and thousands or actually billions that come in from the vaccines. We actually know what's in everything that exists on planet Earth by looking at the nucleotides, the genetic code, and the proteins. And this slide shows exactly what happens when we look at the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2. Placed over time, we can look at the red line, the genetic structure of SARS-CoV-2, all the base pairs that we talk about that are included in the Pfizer, Moderna, Janssen, and AstraZeneca vaccines, and the spike proteins in blue that's actually made from that genetic material. So the genes are in red and the spike protein are in blue. What you see here is something that forms a W formation. And we know that when that happens, you have a prion. And a prion is an abnormally folded protein. And when that gets into your body, it causes things like mad cow disease and heart disease and a variety of other health problems. The importance of showing you that previous slide is to answer a very specific question that people have been asking for many months now. Is what's in the vaccines the same thing that's in the virus? And the answer to that question is no. We know that because this image here shows the actual spike protein. The genes in red and the protein in blue. If you look at what's in the Moderna vaccine and you look at what's in the Pfizer vaccine, all you have to do is look at the patterns. Do the red waves match these red waves? And you can see that they're all different. Do the blue waves, the proteins match? And you can see that they're all different depending upon which vaccine it is except for the prion-like domain. So the only thing that's being consistently reproduced in these vaccines 
is the harmful area of the spike protein. But to answer that very fundamental question that people have been asking, what's in the vaccines? Are they the same thing as the spike protein of the virus? The answer is very clearly no. People have also talked about whether this virus gets into our DNA, whether the vaccines get into our DNA. This paper is one that was recently published just a few weeks ago, and at the very bottom you can see where it was published. What we know is looking at all 23 pairs of human chromosomes, there are only three chromosomes that this genetic material does not insert itself into. So as far as the question about whether this virus, be it in the vaccine or the virus itself, can get into our DNA, the answer is now very clear, it does. The science tells us it does. The final type of vaccine that people are talking about is called Novavax. The benefit of Novavax is that it doesn't insert the mRNA or the DNA of this SARS-CoV-2 virus into people. But what does it insert? This graphic shows exactly what it does insert. To make Novavax requires using a virus called baculovirus that doesn't even infect people. It only can infect moths or arthropods. And an example of the cells that are used for Novavax, right here, this moth. The virus takes DNA to imitate the virus, SARS-CoV-2, puts it inside this baculovirus to inject inside moth cells. That DNA then has to combine with the DNA of a moth to produce bits and pieces of spike proteins that are then harvested and attached to a nanoparticle. So if you've been asking, do these vaccines have nanoparticles? Well, for Novavax, they clearly do, because here it is. By itself, that won't get you to develop an immunologic response. So they take soaps from plants, from the soap bark tree, and add it to this mixture to irritate you, so that when it's all injected into you, you'll develop an antibody response. The biggest problem with this virus isn't that it's a virus. The virus is the delivery system. The harm comes from these abnormally folded proteins that are called prions. This is an example of what the spike protein looks like if you blow it up. And while we know that there's been human inserts for what's called the PRRA region, and we know that there's HIV glycoprotein 120 that's been inserted into it, which by itself is a prion, we know that when these were put into the spike protein molecule itself, it changed the top part of the spike protein the area that attaches to your cells, called the regional binding domain. This abnormal protein here is called a prion-like domain. What does it do to people? Well, we know what it does to animals. After two weeks, 95% of the mice that were injected with this died. And when we looked at the brains of the mice, this is what we saw. This is normal brain. This is the area that's infected by the prion, it looks like a sponge. And so in medicine, we call this spongiform encephalopathy or a brain that looks like a sponge. In general terms, this is mad cow disease. When rhesus macaques were used, and those are primate models, monkeys that are very similar to humans, and we use them to best know what will happen to people, the areas of their brain that were damaged shows up here. And when we looked at it under a microscope, it shows inflammation, blood clotting, and Lewy bodies, these areas, 
that are the types of prion diseases that produce Alzheimer's disease and a number of other neurologic diseases. The ultimate bioweapon isn't a virus, it's a prion. It produces damage, and you can see in, in tissue brain cells, this red stained area are prions moving from one neuron to another neuron, producing this sponge, or mad cow disease, shrinking brains, and it's passed from something that has a prion to something that doesn't. This, again, is the spike protein. This is the ACE2 receptor, but this area here, this sialic acid raft, attaches to the HIV glycoprotein 120 to allow this to get into the cells. This prion attaches here and causes damage. You can think of this like a missile. This is the virus. This is the prion. This is what does damage. This simply gets it there. And it doesn't matter whether it was paid for by the United States or built in China, it's having the same devastating effect around the globe. If you go to FlemingMethod.com, you can see a variety of treatments that we have worked out in the research that we did in 2020. Available for you to download, it's free. Share it with your doctors, share it with whomever you want to. It provides treatment regimens for people that got infected. And if you go to the site, you can see all four of these, extremely effective, and even the cost of what it takes to buy this regimen. This is the inpatient or hospitalized patients that end up with the disease COVID. A lot of detail that you can look at on, uh, at your leisure uh, by looking at the website. If you put it all together, this is what the flowchart actually looks like. From outpatient getting the virus to inpatients with coronavirus disease. And in case you don't understand those terms, SARS-CoV-2 is the virus. COVID-19 is the inflammatory disease. Cholesterol causes heart disease, but it's not heart disease. HIV is a virus. AIDS is the disease. SARS-CoV-2 is the virus. COVID-19, the disease. If you're worried about somebody who's been vaccinated or shedding, this next schematic provides treatment recommendations based upon the best available science, showing how you can use drugs that are already FDA approved for other reasons, which medical doctors are routinely allowed to use to treat patients if you have a medicine that's available for something else. Minoxidil is a drug that's used for high blood pressure. Many people use it for hair growth. Why? Because it also helps with hair growth. That's called an off-label use, and physicians are free to allow you to use something for a different purpose than what it was originally prescribed for. The FDA has already approved all of these drugs, both for the viral infection, COVID-19, the disease, for people who've been vaccinated or shedding. For the federal government to interfere with physicians prescribing medications that have already been FDA approved, violates everything that we've been working with as a society in the practice of medicine for more than a century. The federal government has no constitutional power to do that. Physicians have every legal right to prescribe medications that they believe their patients will benefit from when you, the patient, want to take that medication. Additional point is that if you're worried about these prion diseases, even though we've shown you treatments, good old-fashioned heparin which is typically given to people with little injections under the skin twice a day, has recently been shown to interfere with the ability of this virus to attach itself to your cells. Cheap, 
old-fashioned heparin interferes with the ability of this virus to attach itself. Finally, for people that are worried about whether you need to be vaccinated or not if you've already had the infection with SARS-CoV-2, the answer very clearly is no. This study shows that if you look for antibodies for people who've been infected, whether you look at IgG antibodies, or more importantly, IgA, which is the ones involved with your breathing system, your nose, your lungs, or your GI tract, people that have been exposed make antibodies to this virus. There is no additional benefit to making more antibodies when you already have them. And if you're worried about somebody who says, well, you don't have antibodies right now, you should say, good, because your body doesn't make antibodies to everything you've been exposed to. If it did, your blood would be too thick to move, and it would be a tremendous waste of resources and energy for your body. What you need are memory cells. And the next study shows us that people who've already been exposed to influenza and a virus called cytomegalovirus already have T cells that are ready to attack SARS-CoV-2. So these prior infections have made it possible for you to have an immunity to SARS-CoV-2 thanks to your T cells that are already activated by these other viruses. As a result of all this information we've been working on, I put together a book that will be coming out soon. Is COVID-19 a bioweapon? A scientific and forensic investigation. In this book, I'm releasing the information about published research, grants that came from the United States government to Peter Dazak of EcoHealth, Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina, and Shi Zeng Li at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. This book lays out where the money came from, where it flowed, what published papers were published by all of these individuals, and the grants and the patents that have been received for these viruses. It's very clear that this is a gain-of-function bioweapon. It's very clear who paid for it, and it's very clear that Dr. Anthony Fauci was aware that gain-of-function research was being done on this virus. But Dr. Fauci isn't the only one. The Department of Defense and a variety of federal agencies paid money for this virus to be developed, to prevent you from receiving treatments, and to encourage you to take a vaccine that when you look at the data, doesn't statistically reduce your risk of developing COVID-19 than anybody who didn't get vaccinated. Thank you. That was pretty awesome, huh? He's a good teacher. He uses uh, visual aids. I really like that. <clears throat> but you see that there's cures for it, and there's cures for, um, and there's preventatives or um, prophylaxis, basically, if you're going to be around somebody that has um, they might be shedding the virus. Um, so I, I would recommend going to his website. Um, yeah, it's uh, FlemingMethod.com, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it's quite informative. I was there last night, and uh, geez, I could spend a couple of days there reading. Very good stuff, so... Folks, I, um, we, we've determined now that this was a, a, an engineered bioweapon. I think we've known that for a while now, but we got to see a little bit of a history of where it comes from, how long it's been around, and uh, who's been manipulating it, right? Uh, man, more laws were broken in the manufacture of uh, these vaccines than uh, than anything anything else that I can think of. 
We're talking about international treaties and everything else, too. So, But now you can see why the Russians went into uh, Ukraine if there's 30 bio labs working on stuff like this. Uh, yeah, the right to be concerned uh, is uh, valid, and uh, the right to get rid of the labs is even more valid. So, And who's to say that the, uh, the original infection that we all got didn't... Uh, didn't come from Ukraine. Hmm. Well, we'll see. Time will tell, right? Time will tell. So, folks, with that, I'm going to bid you a fair ado. And uh, it's been real again. It's been fun. And um, I've been very, very informative, too, actually. So, um, until we meet again, um, use this as brain food. If you have to, watch it over and over again or go to the websites. Okay, and um, and check it out for yourself. Uh, one thing that the government fears, as does the enemy, which which the government is, but the enemy is a spiritual aspect of him, um, is that uh, is a is an informed populace, an informed group of people that have uh, looked at the uh, the things that the uh, government's doing and have prepared themselves to, to make to take steps to to undo what uh what evil people have done so with that uh let's uh, just remember that yahweh yeshua has everything under control um yes people are going to die but people die all the time and um this is just going to be a little an accelerated rate but um he's going to come back and make all things right okay never forget that so, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he watch your going out and your coming in, your rising up and your lying down. May he bring you the peace that passes all understanding. And may you just have a blessed weekend, folks, okay? A blessed Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Um, I might sneak a show in one of those days, okay? I've kind of got an idea for the other channel, so... Um, anyway, with that having been said, I bid you fair adieu again. Say good night and uh, via Kadios. Go with Yahweh.